All right. You know my beverages. Mm-hmm. All right. You guys mm-hmm. ready? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I believe so. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Not Your Father's Movies, a podcast where we talk about dad movies, how they relate to us, and how they relate to our kids. We are three dads. I'm Jesse. I'm Vito. And I'm Mike. And, and we, we are the <laughs> dad, dad father. father. <laughs> <laughs> that one's hard to coordinate. <laughs> and we come at you with some confused multiverse energy. Yeah, I, I feel definitely multiversal. I feel like I span universes. How do you guys feel? I feel um, kind of one foot in this world, one foot in another. Which one? I don't know. That's not good. You really probably should know. It's it's my foot. It's not my head. Uh, at least this universe that you're in, do you have Coca-Cola or Cola Soda? <laughs> what is this Coca-Cola or Cola Soda you speak of? <laughs> We have bubblers. Uh, bubblers. <laughs> bubblers. Where I'm from, we only have Pepsi. Weird. That's a terrible yeah. universe. Yeah, there's there's no Coca-Cola. It's yeah, it kind of sucks over here, not gonna lie. It's called Arizona. The universe of Arizona. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, we have multiverse energy because we're here to talk about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, one of our favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Or did I just spoil that? Because we're about to talk about that. But first, let's get into who made this movie? Who's in it? What's going on? How many multiverses are there? Can you answer all those questions, Vito? I can answer some of them and some of them uh, a little bit more vaguely. (laughs) Uh, So this is (laughs) Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. It's directed uh, as three directors, weirdly enough. Bob Persichetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. And it was written from an original screenplay by, uh, sorry, original story by Phil Lord from, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the, the famous directing duo. And then a screenplay was done by Phil Lord and then Rodney Rothman. So I guess to, to give a little bit of background on where this came from, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were really the champions of this. They were kind of in the running to direct it, and they had to step away from it because of um, uh, Disney issues. Everyone might know mm-hmm. the famous story of them on Solo didn't go well for them. But anyway, so they're known for for everything from um, the two 21, 22 Jump Street movies, both Lego movies. They've worked a lot on TV with How I Met Your Mother, uh, Clone High. Uh, they, they've been around. They've made the name for themselves. Also the two Cloudy with a Chance of Meatball movies, which I think are pretty fun. And then we have uh, Rodney Rothman, who shares screenplay and directing credit here. Rodney is a guy that's been involved with Phil Lord and Chris Miller for a while. He's uh, he's also been involved with the Lonely Island guys, you know, producing uh, Popstar. And uh, he's done a couple things of his own. I, I don't know. He hasn't had much of a career before this, except for some producing stuff for Apatow movies. Uh, stuff like The Five-Year Engagement, Get Him to the Greek, Year One, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, so a comedy guy, you know, been around for a little bit. But nothing that would have said, hey, you're going to help direct and write an animated Spider-Man movie? <laughs> <laughs> Peter Ramsey is, uh, I think, I only want to run down some of these names because I think they're going to be kind of influential in the years going forward. Peter Ramsey's been around mostly as an art department guy, worked on everything from Sausage Party and A Wrinkle in Time to Shark Tale, Hulk, 
Adaptation, Minority Report, Panic Room, Fight Club, being John Malkovich. Like he's been around for a long time, but not again, not what you would think of when you would think of a director of this. He previously probably his biggest directing credit is for Rise of the Guardians. You guys remember that one? Rise of the Guardians where they, all the holidays had like a hero. You remember that? This Jack Frost was like the main character. Oh, Jack Frost. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesse's making a face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think I saw bits of that movie. It's buried deep, deep in my brain. I don't really want to dig it out. Exactly. <laughs> our, our final director here is, is, uh, is Bob Persichetti. He's, also an animation guy, but he's kind of been around and he's a he's credited as a rough in-betweener for Emperor's New Groove and Treasure Planet, uh, a story artist for Shrek 2, an in-betweener for Mulan and Hercules, kind of bopped around. The only other movie that he has directed is actually in the future. What What's up? What is an in-betweener? It's kind of in, a, in the background of the animation department. It's about trying to fill in moments between important scenes, as far as I understand it. Because, wow, okay. you know, when you when you transition between things, sometimes you need something there for you to see and look at. And I think that's what that job is. Uh, if someone knows more about animation, please correct me. I'd love to know more. It sounds like a job where you just have to doodle and then they say, all right, that's good enough. We'll put that between here and here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that job is probably like um, if you guys remember, there was that big controversy when Lion King came out because someone swore they could see the word sex. Uh, that was spelled out by the stars in a, in a night scene. You oh, guys remember yeah. this controversy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it actually actually just said SFX, but someone misinterpreted it. They took it out anyway. I didn't know that it said SFX. Yeah, I always thought it just said sex. No, I, I think it was actually it was supposed to be a little in joke, and then it got dirty. That's what I uh, yeah. my understanding. Anyway. But anyway, his last directing credit is is uh, a movie called Puss in Boots: The Last Wish that has been announced. Ew. In case we needed more Puss in Boots in, in our Ew, lives. No. No. But that kind of wraps up sort of that that creative team there. We do have the creator, one of the co-creators of Miles Morales, Brian Michael Bendis, who is serving as a producer, obviously producing alongside uh, Stan Lee, executive producer, and then Amy Pascal and, and Avi Arad, who are just big Spider-Man dudes. They produced all the Spider-Man content that we've had. We have to kind of acknowledge them. They, they own too many of the rights. <laughs> <laughs> but this cast, guys, I'm, I'm going to read these off. Because it's going to be a little bit of a part of a, a future segment of the show. Shamik Moore off of, uh, you might know him from Dope, a really good movie. He, he voices Miles Morales and Jake Johnson, new girl fame. Jake Johnson is is doing Peter B. Parker. Haley Steinfeld from True Grit, probably most most famously. And then Pitch Perfect 2 and 3 is here as Gwen Stacy. Oscar winning Mahershala Ali <laughs> is voicing Uncle Aaron. <laughs> in, in probably probably does the best work maybe of almost anyone here. I, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, they all do a great job. There's not, I don't know, I don't think anyone does a bad job in this movie, but I think that you can say that about pretty much anything he's in. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the bright spot. Yep. Yeah, especially that True Detective season three. Oof. Oh. I mean, um, I, I object to that because I, I like Nicolas Cage in here as well. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage is Spider-Man fair, noir. Fair. Yeah, he's pretty fun. I, I read uh, one of the behind the scenes thing in the DVD where he came in and did a few lines and the the voice director was kind of coaching him. It's like, oh, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. And at a certain point, Nick Cage said, oh, you want full cage. OK, I can give you that. <laughs> That's awesome. But we have Brian Tyree Henry and uh, Laura, Luna Lauren Velez as the two um, two Moraleses here. Um, Lily Tomlin is Aunt May. In very small roles, Zoe Kravitz is Mary Jane. 
John Mulaney, Kamiko Glenn, and Nick Cage kind of round out our spider people. And then we have, I mean, just this, 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 the supporting cast is stacked. We have Catherine Hahn, you know, from Step Brothers and how many R-rated comedies in here as, as Doc Ock. And uh, Liv Schreiber as Wilson Fisk. <laughs> just, just to comment on the Doc Ock, uh, you're, you're again being very bashful with this, Vito. See, Vito served <laughs> as the inspiration and the motion uh, capturing sensor man for Doc Ock in this movie. It's true. In it's true. It, it was. It was a. It was really hard. It, it was a lot of work. They now. I have to correct you, Jesse. We actually did no motion capture. They used me as a motion reference. This is all purely animated. They're very proud of the fact that they didn't use any motion capture. This is animated from start to finish, and I simply was there as a stand-in for some models. Okay. Uh, Don't I just think it's impressive that they were able to get it so right without doing motion capture. Like the way that your arms move are, are very similar to to the way that that hers do. Yeah, I, or I suppose hers are similar to yours. They, that's better. That's better. Yeah. I'm scratching my head and my leg and my cheek all at the same time right now. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, how long is this bit going to go on? <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a uh, Chris Pine as the as Peter A. Parker. You know, Chris. He's he's. We just saw him in Wonder Woman. Yeah, and then we have uh, Oscar Isaac as interesting person number one. Did okay. So how many of you guys did either of you guys watch to the end all the way through the end credits to the stinger a couple scene? Times. I think so, so. So you have, and you have. Yeah. Yeah. So you watched all the way to the end credits where you see the new Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099. Oh, the first time I saw it, I did. I forgot to do it this time. Yeah. So he, he that's Oscar Isaac. Okay. Is he, he plays um, Miguel, the okay. new Spider-Man 2099. He's going to be in the, the second oh, one, I guess. Cool. That's right. And then uh, last two people I want to mention is, is Yorma Tacone from Lonely Island. <laughs> uh, he's voicing uh, the Green Goblin. And then uh, Lake Bell, wonderfully talented comedic actress, is, is voicing Vanessa Fisk. And that's, I think, all that we're going to touch on there until we circle back around to it. But that's kind of the the team that, com- that came to this idea and the people that helped carry it out. And it, this is kind of why animation is so much fun, is that you can have a cast this huge and it's fine and it works. But uh, honestly, as far as animated movies go, they love to stack these things deep. This is probably the most impressive, one of the most impressive ones I've ever seen. I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I'm just kind of a casting nerd when it comes to stuff like this. I love everybody's voices in here. I love even the smaller characters. And well, most of them, a couple exceptions, a couple notable exceptions. But besides that, I love almost everybody in this and what they that bring sounds, to the table. That sounds like a hot take incoming. Who do you yeah. not like? Well, I, I think my opinion is shared by others, uh, but this would be... Spider Pig, or Spider Ham, mm. whatever his name is. You don't, you don't like John Mulaney as Spider Ham, no. or you just not like Spider Ham. I guess in terms of him playing a cartoon Spider Pig, he he does as good as one could expect. <laughs> uh, so I won't, I I won't take away any credits for for that. But it's just the fact that yeah, I don't like the idea of a pig Spider Man around. That really bugs me. Wow, I, and, and he really? just yeah. I don't like his. I don't like his presence. I like to pretend he's not in the movie. To be honest, so so they had a lot of issues with Spider Ham, and they had to actually cut him down a lot because kids loved him, parents hated him. Interesting, um, and that makes sense. There's one joke that killed at the screenings that they had to remove. So it's it's in this the backstory section scene where they're all talking about like the hard times that they've all had, and Spider Ham brings up the story about his uncle Frankenfurter who was electrocuted and dies and then mentions that 
he smelled so good while he was being electrocuted. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And it killed at the test screenings. And they said, they said, quote, this is a bad laugh, end quote. And so they removed the line because they felt like it wasn't in keeping, even though everyone else really liked it. Although they do include some of this in the Spider-Ham short that's, that's on the DVD where he's swinging and eating a hot dog. And he says, chill out, folks. It's an all beef hot dog. And then he winks at the camera and says, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so cannibalism is, is okay in Spider-Ham's universe. <laughs> Spider-Ham's universe, yeah. Yeah, I, that, I hate that universe. I never want to go near there again. <laughs> no, but the point is, though, Jesse, that Spider-Man exists in all possible universes. And a universe in which there are ham people, pig people, pig people, also has a Spider-Man. There's also a villain in that universe that he fights that's called WMBs, and it's a missile that's made out of bees. <laughs> it's really <laughs> so stupid. Uh, dude, that also means there's a universe out there just made of poop, and there's a Spider-Man in that universe, but there's I don't want to see it. Spider yeah, poop. I don't want to I don't want to see spider poop. Just think of all the things that they didn't show you, Jesse, and they chose to do Spider-Ham instead. And I mean, I feel like that's that's a good thing. They chose not to show me Spider Woman or Silk or and they well, I guess they saved Spider-Man 2099 at the end, but he's always been one of my favorites and I wish he would have yeah. been in there. I think you will see all of those in in October of 2022. They are all been confirmed to be in the new one. Ooh, well, that makes me kind of excited, but I hope Spider Pig is not back or Spider Ham. Sp- Spider Pig Man Pig. <laughs> it's, it's, guys, guys, just to be real clear, it's a very simple name. It's called Spider Ham. That's it. Okay, Spider Pig is the Simpsons. <laughs> Hold on. That's where they got the joke for for, for this role, right? For this idea. Like, I, I haven't seen that Simpsons? anywhere, but but for sure. I think for sure. Well, didn't they actually make... Uh, okay, I could be pulling this out of thin air, making this memory up, but I feel like I remember encountering... I, I used to like go to the borders near my sister's music lessons. Um, she took music lessons and there was a borders nearby and I would get dropped off there and she would go to music lessons and I would just peruse through like music and also comic books. I feel like I remember seeing like the spider ham comic books there while I was going through and being like, this is weird. He first appeared in November of 1983. So we are all wrong. I mean, I, I was wrong and Jesse was wrong. Mike is right. I, I was right. Yeah, it yeah. was a real thing. I, th- I thought that that was a big part of why they included him in there was because he um, he actually ex- like he had a run. Yeah, I think run is putting it is putting it. He had a, <laughs> he had a bi- ongoing bi-monthly season for a little while and then disappeared and okay. is now back in this. So that's interesting. So it's kind of like a fan service Easter egg type thing. I, I thought that was a part of it. And also it was kind of like this silly like. Oh, Spider-Man exists uh, in every universe. This is funny. And kids kids loved it. Yeah. My, my wife hated it though. She was like, What? Yeah. This is stupid. I don't I don't I, I think it is stupid, but I think that's on that's on purpose. I don't think that's yeah. a criticism. I think it's like, oh, you get it. <laughs> I, that's how I feel as well, but she didn't feel that way. I, I mean well, she, Mike, she can she can feel that or not feel, but I think that's the point yeah. of the movie. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, Mike, when you were first watching this movie, did you have strong feelings to to spider ham yeah i mean i was like huh but then i was like okay i'll, I'll go with the ride like this is a fun ride i've enjoyed it so far i'm willing to to accept that this is going to be a thing here it's it's like any sort of work of of meta 
universes yeah. is uh, it, it always asks you like, hey, are you willing to to like really distance yourself from your expectations, re- really willing to extend your disbelief? It's when it gives you it gives you a word. It gives you one word. It'll unlock many doors. The word is tenant. <laughs> you have to decide if you want to uh, use it. Uh, <laughs> well, it's the same uh, backwards and forwards, you see. So yeah, yeah that's how it unlocks all the doors, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Spider Ham backwards is <laughs> that's his name exactly. Uh, like, like, are we are we good? Are we good? Are we good now? I think we're good on this one. Okay, that was just meant to be a joke. I mean, <laughs> all right. But Mike, how did you feel about the rest of the movie the first time you saw it? Dude, I loved it. Oh my gosh. I uh, I I thought this movie was incredible. I kind of want to know this. Where did you see it for the first time? I So I don't, like, I, I enjoy superhero movies, but at this point, I don't really make time out of my normal days to, to watch them. What I'll do is when I get sick, I'll have like a day where I spend 12 hours in bed and I just watch superhero movies. Nice. It happens once or twice every year. <laughs> And so this was one of the movies that I watched during a sick day. I, I get Mike sick once or twice a year so he can catch up on these movies so we can talk about. It, it's the superhero movies that make him sick. <laughs> just like just like Tenet, it happened in the future. So it's in the and we're off that joke. We're off that joke. Back back to you. Sick days. Sick days. But we'll come back around to it, I think. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> um, no, but so like this was somewhere in between like Civil War and Thor The Dark World, I think. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. This is everything I've ever wanted in a movie um, about Spider-Man, about a superhero in, in general. It was just such a work of pure joy. And I kind of regretted that I watched it while I was sick because it was so amazing. And I was just kind of like, oh, this is good. <laughs> I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a real case, that man flu, huh? <laughs> yep, man flu. But yeah, dude, I, I love this. It, it was so joyful and so um, it just touched on so many things that I found really familiar, like the uncomfortable sort of middle school, early high school phase that I went through and sort of the the way that Miles comes into his powers uh, are, are just really, really cool. They resonated so well with me and I think a lot of other people too. What about you, Vito? I went to see this in theaters. I went and saw it with a friend of the show, uh, Dominic. And I remember kind of sitting down. I was really excited for this because, I mean, hey, this should be no surprise to any listeners of this show. We're all big fans of Spider-Man here. And mm-hmm. I was really excited for a Miles Morales take, partially because I just played the PlayStation game, the original Spider-Man. And that there was just such a hype for Miles Morales being there. And I remember when he was unveiled as a character in the 2011, 2012 and the art style was really fresh, and it was such a new, bold take on on what, honestly, at that time, for Spider-Man, it was feeling a little tired. You know, we've been seeing so many incarnations of this character, and it felt like there was it, it hit a wall in a lot of ways. And this was such a new, bold way to tell it again. So I saw it in theaters, and right when those credits happened, and you're seeing everything glitching out, and that music by Daniel Pemberton is swelling up, and then it just does that beautiful drop. And you see on the screen appears the stamp approved by the comic authority. And you feel this moment where I'm safe. I'm finally safe. This is finally a movie for me. And uh, ever, ever since then, I, I, um, this has been near and dear to my heart. Uh, I think I've seen this movie 
honestly, like seven times. I think my seventh time was yesterday. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, and it's only come out, came out two years ago, but this is, um, yeah, this is an all timer for me. How about you, Jesse? Oh, that's awesome. Well, okay. I, I've got a little bit of a story to tell because to understand how I'm coming at this movie, you have to understand what I was like in 2018, which was, I was basic. I banned all superhero movies from my life. I, I yeah, I didn't Whoa. like them. I, it was just the same thing being rehashed over and over and over again. I was hating it. I'd already seen two incarnations of Spider-Man, right? There's a, uh, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Andrew Garfield at the end. I was like, well, I, that was a waste. And then I, I saw civil war. That was one of the few superhero movies I'd seen. And then I saw the new Spider-Man. I, but I'm still not into civil war. I wasn't into that new Spider-Man. Are you talking about homecoming and, there? Yeah. So that he makes his first appearance in civil war and then yeah. is later in homecoming. And so, yeah, I'm not really into the, so I didn't bother to see homecoming. And then uh, I I was also taking a break from movies at the time. I was watching TV shows almost exclusively. I was just busy, and that's what TV shows allow for. And I wasn't keeping up with movies in the slightest. Had no idea this movie was happening until I bought my kids a couple Happy Meals. And there were some Spider-Verse toys. One said Spider-Man, and he sort of looked like Spider-Man, but he was wearing a black costume. And then there was another toy that said spider Gwen. And then I said, I, I don't know what this is, but I don't want to have anything to do with this. I almost threw the toys out, but the kids liked them. So we kept them. All right. This is everything I hate about. This is exactly why I don't watch Marvel movies. I hate the constant rehashing of stories. I hate when they take the costumes of characters that I love, put them on new characters and say, Oh, this is for you. When I know that's a clear cash grab that just infuriates me. So I was dead set. To not see the movie until some coworkers talked about it and they were all loving it. They were all like hyping it up to me and they all told me if I liked the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man's, I should check this out. And then one of them gave me a copy. So I took the copy home and guys, I loved it. I loved it so much that I got back into superhero movies because of this movie. It restored my faith in superheroes in general. So yeah, my first impression was this is restoring my faith in superhero movies. That's awesome. I also like how you came to it in a very dad way, you know, <laughs> through a happy meal and through like stupid plastic China toys. <laughs> and you're like, this is so cheaply made and mass marketed to be consumed by small children to make me see this movie. And it worked, but it was good. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I remember that happening to my own dad uh, to some degree. I can't remember what, but there were like a few times where I'd be like, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's for that movie that's coming out. You know, that new Inspector Gadget movie and be like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. That's a stay tuned from that's a stay tuned for Vito right there. <laughs> <laughs> I will hear no slander on Inspector Gadget. We need to move on here. <laughs> All right. I think we should move on. Vito? Do you have something for us? I think you have something for us. I do. I have a little game. It's a little cast trivia game. Okay. <clears throat> now, when I was looking through the credits of everyone that was in this, I saw a lot of similarities. These people worked with each other a lot. Most of this cast works with each other almost with, with it. Like I think two exceptions have worked with each other more than twice. Okay. 
Lily wow. Tomlin is one of the exceptions. She she works by herself because she's a she's a respected Hollywood actress yeah, that made yeah. one of her feature film debuts in Nashville with Robert Altman back in the 70s, okay? She's peerless. But okay. everyone else. So this game, I want to call and you, and this will be point this will be a point system where I will mm-hmm. name the person and who they play in the movie and you need to tell me is this person in BoJack Horseman or not? Okay? Wow. Okay. okay. Wait, can you put the list up? Uh no. Oh, dang it. Because I have a list here. Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I think I misunderstood the game, but now I get it. We'll see. We'll see if I, I got it. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, let, let's start here. I'll start with an easy one. Haley Steinfeld, voice of Gwen Stacy, previously seen in True Grit, which we all have seen, future episode. Is she in BoJack or not? Jesse. Yes. Mike? Yes? No, both Dang wrong. It. Negative point. <laughs> so this isn't just all going to be yes. No, it's not all going to be yes. Right. Okay. Mike, there's, I'm there's, tied with you. Yes. Yeah, there's, we're both negative. So as a hint, like golf. as a hint, since you're negative, one, two, three, four, five, six cast members are in BoJack. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Now there's bonus points if you can name a show that they were also in with one of these other, because they're in multiple things. All these people are also in other things with each other, okay? It's, uh, it's a deep one. There's webs. Okay. It's interconnected. All right. Jake Johnson, Peter B. Parker from New Girl. Bojack or not? I don't think so. I'm saying no. This is Mike. I say no. Jesse. <laughs> Uh, this is Jesse, the real dad father, saying yes. Jesse, you you are correct. Dang One it. point for Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brian Tyree Henry. Okay, voice of Jefferson Davis. Bojack or not? No. Jesse? No. Wrong. Bojack. One episode. Dang it. One episode. Who does right. he play? Oh, I didn't look that up. Oh, well, this <laughs> but, is but you, although although Jake Johnson was in five episodes, he I believe was? of BoJack. Right. Yes. Okay, I have negative I one. Have... I'm still in the lead. That's true. Still in the lead. <laughs> I'm negative three. I'm negative three. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like golf. But Mike, Mike, quick round, lightning round for you. If you can name what show New Girl crossed over with, which also shares two cast members with this movie, you are tied with Jesse. New Girl crossed over with one show. You get one hint if you ask, if you want it. Damn it. I would like a hint. Okay. It is a um, New York-based How I Met Your Mother. No. Damn it. No. I got it wrong. You did. You did. <laughs> I do not like New Girl. I, I, this is a show I do not like. Okay, but just for everyone to know, he crossed over with uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh. And both Catherine Hahn oh, and right. Jorma Tacone are in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. I did mm. actually know that. So two two more questions before we figure this out. Jesse is still in the lead here. All right. Negative one, baby. <laughs> I'm so far down. So Catherine Hahn, Bojack or not? Jesse, you go first. Catherine Hahn, voice no. of Doc Ock. Jesse, that's Jesse's no. answer. I'm going to say yes. Jesse is correct. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what, what sitcom, though, was she a part of for a multiple episode run that she also was 
in with Natalie Morales. This is like a daily double. So if you get it wrong, you lose all your points, Jesse. (laughs) 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 Zero of them. All 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 my my zero points. Okay. Wait, say the question again. Okay. If you can name the other show that Catherine Hahn is in with Natalie Morales. Natalie Morales plays the school teacher in this. She has a multiple episode, multiple season run on this show. Then you get you get I don't know five points I don't know, and if you lose it you get zero points. So, uh, dude, I have no idea. I'll... You should give him a hint. I mean, okay, okay. okay. It, 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 the hint is it's about it's a sitcom about a small government in a small town. You mean Parks and Rec? I mean Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, final, yeah, final two questions. All right. Lake Bell, Bojack or not? Yes. Yes. You're both correct. One point. Yes! <laughs> yes! I, I got one! I got one right. Now, <laughs> and then the final one, Natalie Morales, who, who just so you guys know, if you remember, uh, she is Aziz Ansari's on-again, off-again girlfriend in Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, of course. Bojack or not? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. You both get a point. Yes. With Jesse here having won the Bojack or not. Um, oh, and then there was one final cast member at Penny Parker, the voice of Penny Parker, Kamiko Glenn, multiple episodes of Bojack Horseman as well. So, of course, I knew that. But if they you'd also... ask that, I'd have gotten it right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like these, like John Mulaney is on an episode of Dickinson with Haley Steinfeld. He's also on the Kroll Show with Catherine Hahn. Um, Kamiko Glenn is on Drunk History with Liev Schreiber. Chris Pines in Wet Hot American Summer. Like, and he's on there with. Wait, who else is he on there with? I lost it in my notes. Oh no, he's in there with Lake Bell. Like this cast is crazy. Not only because of how many people worked on BoJack, but like how often they all work with each other. It was really fun. And when I was researching this, I just kept finding the same titles, and I just had to make a game of it. So thank you guys for uh, for indulging me. Oh, I I always love being wrong about as many things as I possibly can. You did a great job. Yeah, Yeah, Mike. I I am terrible with for as many TV shows as I watch. I am terrible at like remembering who is in it and <laughs> who their voices were. <laughs> and I, I can never keep track of it all. I just enjoy watching it and never keep track of everybody coming off and on screen. Well, I, I always play the game where it's like, Oh, that was that one girl who was in that thing that we saw the other day. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. That's the game I play. I don't know oh, any that's- names. Especially when it comes to like voices, I'm like, oh, that's the voice I heard the other day on a podcast. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and you're always right. (laughs) (laughs) I get I get really involved with with cast lists for both TV shows and movies because I I like it when you can see someone early. You know, when when you see them in a movie and you go, wow, they're really good in this. Who is this person? And you figure it out, and then you get to like watch their career over years. And you, it's nice when you're like, I was right about that person. I think my my favorite one is is Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig singing like early Apatow and Saturday Night Live stuff and being like, they're the best. Like you're just gonna have to wait, but everyone is gonna see these guys rock. And then you know, Kristen Wiig's in like Bridesmaids, and you go, yeah, see, 
See, <laughs> I was right. Yeah, no, that's really yeah. cool. I, I wish I had, um, I, I'm working on having a, be- a better memory. That's but, good. You, you, know, you remember a Mensa? I, I, I keep forgetting <laughs> to do it, though. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Uh, all right. So coming back to the Spider-Verse, though, uh, let, let's ask the big question, though. So this is a movie more geared towards kids-ish, because it's a cartoon. Would you show this to your kids, and at what age? Uh, Mike. Yeah, man. So, yes, absolutely. 100,000% I would show this to my kids. I think that this is just such a wonderful movie for kids to see, for anyone to see, really. But I think it really it's something that you know I would have loved to see when I was 13 or 8 or whenever. I almost would show it to them now, but the Prowler is just like, he's, he's pretty creepy, pretty scary. And I don't think my kids would be able to, to handle that yet. I would love to see if I could show this to them. So my, my kids are four and two right now. I think when the older one is six, they might be able to see it. I'm not sure. That's where I'm like, I'm hoping to be. I want to show it to them early but then not show it to them for a while and then let them see it again when they get to like their teenage years when they get to that awkward middle school age and like oh wow this guy is going through the same thing as me and he's spider-man that's uh that's kind of how i feel about it what about you Vito? uh my daughter's already seen this (laughs) three times (laughs) uh this is this is not her favorite movie i think that probably goes to moana but this is something that she asks for a lot. And it's, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's just because this movie is so important to me. I mean, you guys can't see it, but Mike and Jesse can vouch for the fact that it's, it's my desktop background. It has been for yeah. a really long time. And I listen to the music a lot from this, this gorgeous soundtrack. And so the first time I, I will say this caveat here, I, she can't watch the whole thing. She, I won't, I always fast forward the scene where Peter a Parker is killed. It's just really intense and it's it's pretty hard to 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 deal with. You know, I think it's it's done very artfully in the movie, but you know, Kingpin's fist goes up, go down, Spider-Man goes limp. And you're like, wow, Spider-Man is dead. And it's a very impactful moment. But I think she can get the gist of it when she sees the the funerals and they're all talking about it. And then Miles's sort of realization, like, I I can wear the mask. So she really enjoys this. The Prowler, I was worried about it too, but I sat with her and I held her. And when it got to the reveal, when he pulls off the mask and you see that it's Uncle Aaron, um, now when she sees the Prowler, she says, it's Uncle Aaron. I go, that's right. And she goes, why is he chasing me? He, he doesn't know it's his nephew. She goes, oh, like she she understands that. And then that's even further reinforced when she sees the masks being taken off. And then when they realize they're who each other is, you know, they back away immediately. You know, you don't do that to family. Yeah. Um, that's just how I, I approached watching with my that's kids. But I, I can't wait to show this to any more kids that I have. And I can't wait for my daughter to have this relationship with, with Spider-Man, you know, this is the first Spider-Man as a character is the first thing that we really bonded over. And uh, yeah, uh, this movie is a big, big part to play in that. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I get where you guys are coming from. And I, I have kind of showed this to my kids twice at this point. Both times my daughter has run away because she (laughs) does that. If she senses something scary and she saw the prowler and she's like, nope. And then she bails and she goes and runs to her room. So I've tried to show it to them, but they just don't really care that much about it. Even at moments where I thought 
they would really be were like with Spider-Man ham pig. <laughs> with <him. laughs> like I thought they would like him, but when he comes on screen, there was just no reaction, no laughs, nothing. It was kind of disappointing, to be honest. It's like, well, if he's not for me, then who is he for? Um, he's for me. He's for me. Everybody. I like him. You know, he knows who they made Spider-Man handpick. But like, I, I think it's okay to show it to them because there, there's some a lot of things they can handle. I, I was even fine with them seeing Peter Parker die because like they've seen the Lion King. I think they can handle this. And you don't actually physically see it. It's kind of the way that it's shot. I think it's it's more palpable or palpable. No, palatable. That's the word. I felt it. Felt yeah. pretty palpy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to stay quiet at that one because I don't want it to like become a thing and where it keeps happening. But I sense that it's going to, and I just oh, I'm yeah. trying to get out of the way of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, no. So it's palatable. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because so, it cuts away is what you're saying. It cuts yeah, away. So, you see it from behind. Yeah, that is more of an adult theme, but I think that's okay. Younger kids can see that. Same thing with this Prowler. And and then there's also elements with, like, Peter B. Parker's life. Like, he's struggling with, like, depression and not being man enough to be a father, yeah. which is way more of an adult concept. And for that reason, I think... I think the appropriate age to actually like sit down and really appreciate this one would probably be the same age Miles Morales is, which is like 13. I think he's like 13. So I'm going to say 13 years old because that's when you can best relate to Miles Morales. That's when you can understand the themes in there, understand what's happening and be really drawn and engaged with it. So that's what I've already tried to show it to them a couple times. I think I'm going to stop, wait till they're older and then, just explode their little heads with what's in this movie. I'm only going to push back just slightly just at the wording of that. Cause like if I was, if I was seven years old and I saw this, I, it would be my favorite movie for, for years and years and years. Like if I was five and I saw this, I, I guess 13 is, is the age of the protagonist, but like I didn't wait until I was 18 to see the original Spider-Man. And that's how old Peter Parker is supposed to be there. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see a necessary correlation. I see some accidental ones, but I, I think that this is one that I think that was what Mike was saying is this is something kind of for all ages. It just kind of matters if the person that's watching it is able to, to receive it right then. And so if you're talking, you know, for you showing it to your kids, you're saying you're having difficulty there. Um, you know, your kids best, you'll be able to say, you know, kind of when this will work for them. But I think that this movie is engineered. I mean, like I said, like my daughter's three and she gets this and she sits down and watches it. She watches the whole thing. Wow. And, and she really likes it. the only time she starts to fall off is, is near the end when there's all the colors. And I think then it's it's too much and she gets kind of bored. Huh. Um in, That's in, interesting. in the vortex part. Yeah. But she's there for the characters. She's asking about what's going on with Miles. Miles falls off, like falls from the building and hits the sign and she laughs. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, there is some adult stuff with with Peter's adult life. I guess it's funny when we're talking about this. I'm 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 more accepting of having my children see. Uh, depression or or um, life not quite working out because that was that's very much a part of my experience. And then death though is such a is a is a big hot hot button issue for me, just me personally. And so I'm always a little bit more cautious. Like like one of the few movies that my daughter hasn't seen is The Lion King, and that's just that that just shows like the nice 
interesting differences in how we parent and and what we want to to expose our kids to. That's all I wanted to say. What you said, Jesse, helped me to sort of think a little further about what my thoughts are about it. I, and I kind of feel like I want my kids to have this in their memory bank from when they're very young or, or pretty young, like six, seven years old. I think, like you said, it's going to be the coolest thing that that they're going to see and, and have. But I don't want them to come to it every day. I have some sort of like general curiosities about superheroes in general. General curiosities? General curiosities about hum- superheroes in general. I don't think that they're like, I don't want my kids to be constantly being like, oh, I want to be a superhero. I want them to be like, hey, I am great and wonderful as who I am, which is a lot of what this movie is um, is talking about through the superhero mantle, which is part of why I love it so much. It does such a good job of what it's doing. And so I want them to see it. I want them to see just this, this, this kid like sort of reckoning with being... Uh, a part of the world around him and reckoning with the fact that things are imperfect, that bad things do happen, but also being told, you know, you're the best of us, Miles. Like, oh my gosh, every time I, I see that, like I start tearing up. That's such an incredible line. Beautiful, beautiful last wor- words. I want them to have that in their memory bank as something like this is special. But then, you know, I if if it's possible to wait until they're thirteen, that care in Miles's age to come back to it and sort of be like, oh, yeah, man, this movie that I saw, it really, it was really important for me to have seen it then, and it's important for me to reencounter it now. I don't know. That's that's kind of how how I I think about it because they'll be able to look at it with new eyes and see more that more of those complications rather than just the simple sort of baseline story. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I'm at the same approach, which is why I was okay with them watching the movie in the first place when they're four and two. Like, I'm fine with them having it in their memory bank. I just, I don't think they're really going to fully appreciate it until they are at Miles Morales' age. And even though that's not the case for the older Spider-Man, like, the older Spider-Man in some ways isn't as heavy as what happens in this movie. This movie is almost heavier than most other superhero movies that I've seen. Um, so I think you need to have some, some maturity to understand and fully comprehend what's going on. And then there's also a, all right, there's one other aspect too. No, 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 dis- no disagreement there, by the way, for me, no, no disagreement there. I was just, I was just wanting to, to just say that um, it, while these themes are hard to grasp fully, I mean, we're, we're all like pretty much 30 years old here talking about this movie and we're talking about how much it means like that should tell you. Right. So I wasn't, I wasn't disagreeing that you need right. age and maturity. I don't think that you're, <laughs> you're able to get this movie until you're 30, like fully get it until you're, you're, you, you've grown up and you kind of battled through all of this stuff and, and you're an adult and you're seeing, Oh wow. Like this is, these are all things that, that I wouldn't have picked up when I was 13. Sort of the way that miles doesn't really pick it up. He doesn't really pick up that Peter B. Parker is, you know, very depressed. His life is, falling apart it just says you got to go home man yeah <laughs> whatever whatever's going on with you you got to go home and deal yeah. with it yeah but that that's it i just wanted to comment on that like like oh, no, it, it it takes it, it's a movie that brings something new i think every time you see it at every age you yeah see it. i i think i think you really uh struck on something there because i was kind of thinking the same thing this movie yeah you know for as much as it's a cartoon for and the fact that it has Spider-Man handpick. Um, it's really <laughs> made. It's really made for for people our age. I think it was made 
almost almost like targeted at people like me who don't like superhero movies who have been jaded by so many Spider-Mans and are finally bringing that character to life or that that idea of Spider-Man to life in the in the full to one of the fullest possible extents um that another thing I was thinking about while I was watching this movie is you know what I really want my kids to watch some of the Spider-Mans that I grew up with and have that impression of Peter Parker because I think that kind of carries through to this movie. You're you're only like, uh, I think the weight of him dying, it's a big deal, but he's only on screen for a few minutes or less than a few minutes, right? And then he dies. He's out of the picture. If you don't have a background on Peter Parker, then I don't really think that's that scene is very emotionally impactful or not as emotionally impactful. And then when he comes back, it's Peter B. Parker, right? And that's kind of a riff on... Frankly, like the Tobey Maguire and maybe Andrew Garfield ones that have come out, like you just kind of imagine like, all right, dude, when you get older, like you're going to like really struggle with life based off of what I'm seeing from you. And so it, it kind of struck me that to fully appreciate at least the Peter Parker side of things in this movie, you actually need to watch other renditions of Peter Parker. You need to know who Spider-Man is, right? And you need to have you yeah. need to have some kind of relationship with that with that IP. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. And it definitely feels like it's a really fun, logical conclusion. You know, where would this kind of character go? It's like if uh, when you fast forward Batman, like 20 years, this is this guy is like crippling psychological and emotional <laughs> traumatic experiences that happened to him. So even though he was it's able to fun. sort of like get by <laughs> on youthful enthusiasm, what's it year in and year out? And I yeah. saved New York City and I saved it again and I saved it again and I saved it again. <laughs> I got beat up yeah. a bunch. Yep. Ooh, and to draw an analogy there, there's Batman Beyond, right? Which is after Batman is really old, and then someone else comes and takes the mantle. And I remember seeing that ap- when I was like seven or eight, having an experience with with Batman, and then seeing that, and it was so awesome to see that, right? Yeah. That's what I would want my kids to have, that experience right there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I had the same one. Just watching like yeah, Terry McGinnis take over from Bruce Wayne, even though like watching the Batman animated show from like 95 to 97 or 98 and then getting Batman Beyond. I mean, I'd already known about Batman for half my life. <laughs> and then so to get Batman Beyond was just revelatory. <laughs> also, I do uh, I do want to make just a, just a, a small distinction here. So we, we do talk about this being a cartoon, but that's something that a lot of the animators and the, the directors really push back against that. You know, they, they say that there's a, a misunderstanding of animation as a genre instead of a medium. And it really is a medium. And I think that's actually tying in more to what you guys are both saying. You know, this is the way, the best way that they have found to communicate this story, make it look like a like a comic. You know, all these panels that are oh, yeah. being laid in and across each other and the weird ways they can cross cut the crazy character designs, you know, really making Wilson Fisk look they describe it he's a wall with a tiny little head floating in the middle (laughs) Um, and so it it is a cartoon but it's also a beautiful moving piece of artwork and it's not a cartoon in the same way like the crudes is a cartoon it's not the same in the same way as uh i don't know just any like monsters versus aliens like these these really made for money made for the lowest common denominator like get your kids in the theater sit down eat some popcorn yeah, I'm with you there. I think we've gotten past the point where where animation is just for kids. That may have been how it was like 30 years ago. That's not for how sure. it is anymore. Yeah, it was for kids and then for those weirdos that are watching like heavy metal and like Ralph Bakshi cartoons, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think we talked about that topic enough. I'm sure it's going to come back in the podcast, but I would like to jump into something maybe a little more fun, which are favorite scenes. So Mike, I think we all have one big favorite scene. I think we're going to save that after we've all given our runner up. So Mike, what is your runner up favorite scene? My runner up favorite scene. Yeah. I mean, dude, there's so many good scenes in this movie. It's, it's, just like from start to finish, I'm having a good time. Like, oh my gosh, they, speaking of just the animation, like it's just so powerful the way that they do make this like a comic book. I feel like m- little Mike in Borders reading through the comic books that he's not buying. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> How long can I sit here and read yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> Jane, why are you back? Don't come back. <laughs> I wasn't that little. They didn't abandon me in Borders. I was, I was older. Might, might have taken uh, you a while to notice that they had, though. Older. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that would have been the best place for little, for little Mike to be abandoned. But um, my favorite scene, I think, other than uh, my, my second favorite scene, other than my favorite favorite scene, is the scene so Miles Morales' dad is the cop Jefferson Davis, and he uh, he and his son are going through uh, kind of some conflict. They're not connecting right, and then you know a, a lot of stuff happens, including um, Uncle Aaron getting shot. So Uncle Aaron has just died, and Jefferson Davis, the cop, comes up to Miles Morales' dorm room at the fancy school that Miles is going to, which is a part of the conflict. And Miles and he, Miles hasn't been answering his phone when his dad is calling. He's not, he's not talking to his dad. His dad doesn't know why. Miles isn't really trying not to talk to him. He's just got a lot of other stuff going on. But to his dad, it feels like he's lost connection with his son. At this point, Miles has also just been rejected by the spider people from all the other universes. And Peter B. Parker has told him, listen, you're not ready because you don't know how to control your powers yourself. And so he's tied him up with Webb um, into his swivel chair in his room. And so Miles isn't able to open the door. And his dad comes up and he knocks on the door and says, Miles, Miles, are you there? I know you're there. I see your shadow under the door. And Miles can't talk because he's webbed up and he's got webbing over his over his mouth. His dad just kind of bears his heart to his son and says, hey, you know, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, basically, you know, we're not connecting. I, I'm trying to say what you need to hear, and I, I'm not saying it, but I want you to know that I'm trying. I love you. This is right after Aaron, his brother, has died, and he says, you know, people people drift apart. What's, what's unsaid there is that he hopes that he, he doesn't want to drift apart from Miles, and, and the idea is that He's going to accept him no matter what. And that's something that Miles is struggling with very, very much. Yeah, um, he's in that new school. He's, 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 yeah. He feels distance, right? He feels distance. And then, you know, he's becoming the new Spider-Man. And his dad has said, you know, I hate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so, he, you know, his uncle has just died. And they don't know that they both know this. And then his dad says, Miles, I see this spark in you. There's a spark in you. This idea of him being the best of all of us. He's their hope and their dream. And he says, that's why I push you. That's why I push you so hard. And I'm sorry if, I've, if I'm if i pushing you away. And and just the way that scene is animated, Miles, Miles rolls up to the door and he's just, he's pressed hit with his entire body against the door. And it's just beautiful because they're both standing there on either side of the door and they're unable to talk. But you just feel, 
feel the the scene and feel the the emotions that are that are going through this this love that they each have, both the acceptance and um, and the difficulty of communication between people that Miles' dad finally breaks through, despite there being a wall there. What he finally says is, Miles, I love you, and you don't need to say I love you back. Yep. And then he has to go. And it's just like, oh, it's just a tear-jerking scene. I, I love it. It's so beautiful. And from there, Miles is able to you know, do what he needs to do after getting that unconditional love from his father. Yeah. Which is just a beautiful, beautiful scene. Nice. Yeah. Honestly, of all of all the the dad dialogues that we've covered, which haven't been much up to this point, so this doesn't mean that much at this point. I think this is the best. Yeah. This is the most heartfelt father-son moment I think that we've covered on this show before. Yeah, I love it. And it's so amazing. I feel like so often, I mean, it's so easy to it would have been so easy to make that totally cheese ball, right? Like and and I feel like I've seen it seen People try to do this sort of thing and it just ends up being kind of fluffy and, and meaning meaningless. And this is just so meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That that's a great one. I was I, I was especially moved by that. I love you. You don't have to say it back. And you know, and just trying to examine how everything looks to to Jefferson, right? Spider-Man dies, his son is out, he's pushing his son, and then there's just nothing. Like there's nothing from his son. And just the confusion that he must feel. And then like the whole city descends into chaos and they can't find miles and they don't know what's happening with him at all. And, but when you look at it from miles point of view, he has this very clear emotional thread, but like yeah. as a dad, Jefferson is so on the outs of everything. Yeah. And also I think their last bit of dialogue that they have in movie before that scene is uh miles like rushes back. He's confused. He rushes back to the house and he sneaks in and uh, they come rushing, and I think his dad tells him to go back, and they say, no, you can actually stay here. And the only thing Miles tells him is he, he looks at him and says, man, uh, dad, do you like Spider-Man? Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, and he goes, well, he goes, ugh. Well, and then, and then his wife like cuts in. And he's like, baby, you know how I feel about Spider-Man. <laughs> it's, it's like it's a total dad reaction. Where it's like, no, I tell my son the truth. Like, I tell my kids the truth. I'm a good dad. Yeah. I tell my kids the truth. I don't like Spider-Man. I don't think he's right. He's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. But he's not picking then, up on the emotional thread of like, this kid is experiencing some serious shit right now. And he needs you to tell him that he loves you. That's a hardcore you backstory. Yeah. yeah, it's a hardcore yeah. backstory. <laughs> and then Spider-Man dies. So like all, I bet all this dad is remembering is the last conversation he had with his son, which was him saying he doesn't really like Spider-Man and then him feeling like an utter dick because he realized that guy died being a hero the next day. Yeah. And then. Oh not. yeah. It's because it's on the TV after. Yeah. 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 Well, what was yours, Jesse? All right. So uh, my runner up favorite scene is just the intro. Again, because I didn't know how I was going to feel about this movie. At first, there's an intro with Peter Parker kind of making fun of the Tobey Maguire stuff. And then it just... At the, 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 the scenes with Miles Morales. When you first see him, he's listening to music. And he's trying to sing along to Sunflower. And messing up the words. Then he rushes off to school. And you realize he's not the nerdy Peter Parker. He's actually kind of cool. But probably very smart. 
like already setting himself like apart from the Peter Parker that I had known and grown up with. Like this whole scene just solidified Miles Morales as a real character that I should care about, not a knockoff version of Peter Parker. And then his dad comes into the picture because he sees him like slapping stickers on things. They have a conversation in the car because he takes him in the squad car, right? And then they're talking about Spider-Man and he says, with great ability comes great accountability. <laughs> it's like basically the same thing. <laughs> He's like, damn, that's not how it goes. I, I and, then, and, then, and then he treats you to like this wonderful, like, hey, look at that. Look at that. Oh, new coffee shop. There's all these new co- it's all these coffee. What's that one called? The phone party. What's that phone party? Phone party. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Isn't this ridiculous, Miles? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's so great. And then this whole sequence ends when he gets to school. And then Jefferson Davis says, I love you, Miles. And then Miles just says, yeah, I know, Dad. And then over this loudspeaker, he just says, say, I love you, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> say, I love you. Say, Dad, Dad, say, I love you. <laughs> I love you, Dad. That's a cop. Uh, it, was, it was so great. It solidified who Miles Morales is in this movie, made me care about a character I did not want to care about. And it's great. It's great because it just, it does all that in just a few minutes. It's an, and it's so relatable too. I mean like dude, he's this new kid at this new school getting getting pushed out from his old neighborhood with all of his friends that he he likes and thinks he's cool. It's it's such like a fun sort of turning turning on his head of the Spider-Man myth because Spider-Man's the nerd who, you know, gets beat up all who the gets time. beat up by everybody and he's a fish out of water because he's a nerd, but in in this case like Miles Morales, he's kind of an, an, a nerd. Like, he's smart. Well, he's, he's not at, a nerd. But he's in a school full of other nerds. Yeah, yeah. But he's on the outskirts because, like, his shoe's untied. Yeah, I know. It's a choice. I love that line <laughs> so much. <laughs> it's a choice. Oh. Oh, oh, hey, we wore the same thing today. This yeah. is awkward. <laughs> so funny. It's, he's, like, such a cool dude. Like, I want to hang out with this kid at yeah. 13. And uh, it's just, it's such a funny turning on his head of that that's that myth yeah and you also see how a wise cracking spider-man could also be this kid almost instantly because he's still you know he still cracks a bunch of wise crack jokes wait yeah yeah yeah, yeah you got he there cracks the wise cracks <laughs> he, he wise the cracks yeah he, he wises, wises all the cracks he wises the crack out of those cracks <laughs> <laughs> hey, Peter. Babble. <laughs> Peter, what was your runner-up scene uh so it's it's going to be a little bit quicker to describe so i'm going to describe uh my two favorite jokes as well they're very fast yes um one is when right after he's bit the next morning when he has the awkward encounter with guanda uh <laughs> and and they have to like so they have to cut her hair and he's he's going and he's like no one noticed no one knows and you see him walking and he's sweating and the camera's um paneling in closer and closer to his eyes and he's looking around and he's like no one knows everybody knows but as he's looking back and forth he goes he goes wait are they laughing at me and he goes whoa she's tall <laughs> and you see a very tall high school girl in the background <laughs> and the second one is when they're they're breaking into the 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 facility and uh they do the have the whole plan they meet doc ock and they're they're running out and peter in fact does grab a bagel on the way out just like he said he was going to but and he hands it over he takes the the computer from miles that they're heisting and Miles takes the bagel. And as they're running out, Miles throws the bagel and it hits a guy coming <laughs> yeah. through the door. And just for a split second, you see the onomatopoeia of the bagel hitting him. And it just says bagel. <laughs> 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 I 
And I look for that joke all the time because it's so funny to me because usually you'd expect to see a pow. You'd expect to actually see a word that signifies the sound, but instead a bagel hits a guy and the sound is bagel. <laughs> I can't describe anymore why that's so funny to me, but I love it. Um, but my, 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 go ahead. Sorry. And then there's that great joke when he does it where somebody shouts at him in the cafeteria, hey, you look like Spider-Man. And he's like, ha ha, get that all the time. <laughs> I just love that joke. <laughs> it's the, uh, my, my, my favorite, my runner-up scene is, I think it's going to be the second Prowler chase where Miles has gone to Uncle Aaron's apartment. And instead of Uncle Aaron, it is the Prowler who comes in, almost finds him, but then unmasks himself as Uncle Aaron. Miles in confusion escapes the prowler realizes someone's been in there because miles was invisible the whole time and he sets off and it's one of the most kinetic amazing chase scenes that i've that i've really ever seen just the the way they panel in and they're showing miles running they show him they show the prowler getting on the motorcycle like and then they, they cut closer to miles running and you see him turning the key and then racing out and then all the panels sort of coalesce into one and it turns into this like really glorious really incredible action scene this movie has some of the best action period, like best action choreography. You know, I think Marvel could really learn a lesson or two from just how detailed and specific and clear everything is where everyone is at all times and what's happening. Because it's never a mess. You're never just like, wait, what? Who? And if you are, it's because that's the effect they want you to have. Like at the end, uh, when they're shooting through all the buildings that are coming out of the reactor and everything. The effect there is supposed to be disorienting, but in this one, you're supposed to see exactly what's happening. And I thought that was really, really gorgeous choreography, and I'm a sucker for that. So that, that's my runner-up scene. On the way that he he barely makes it through all the cars that are yeah. crashing at once. It's so cool. And, and he looks yeah. behind him, and he expects to see the Prowler, and he's not there. Yeah. And instead, but he's up there okay. on that beautiful, like, almost yeah. Batman-like silhouette yeah. against the sky. And then again, the panels come up with Penny Parker who's fixing that, that motherboard. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it's so confusing, but it's such a beautiful like uh, movement of images because you're, you're seeing a skyline of a city and then you're seeing a motherboard close up like it is a city. And then it transitions from, from the city to the small piece and then back out. Like it's, it's gorgeous work of how they, they let your mind follow in a very masterful way. The whole movie is, is so cool about that. Like you said, you know, the action, the way the action is, is done in this movie is really cool. It feels like a 13 year old kid a thin 13 year old kid running around scared Mm -hmm. Um, whenever he's running scared. You're like, I kind of remember feeling that way. Yeah. And it's just like, kind of like Prowler is just so big. He's got, he's got got so much theme too. that. And it's it's, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's hard. It's, it's like a a klaxon siren that's been disordered or something. And it it can be really low and rumbly. So, you know, he's coming like, like the, the stomping of a T-Rex or it can be loud, like a, like an alarm blaring. To let you know, like, you got to run. You got to go, kid. (laughs) And he just runs. But you feel like he's not going to get away. Like, he's too small. Mm -hmm. He's the world is so large around him. Yeah. And his little and his little stupid suit that he bought from Stanley. (laughs) It always fits. Eventually. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Who wants to take us through our favorite scene, though? Mike Vito does. Vito? Vito, you want to do the favorite scene? Yeah, I, I think, and I think I know why uh, Mike is is giving this one. So I have seen this movie seven times, and every time I tear up hardcore at the leap of faith. And by tear up hardcore, I actually mean actual tears leak down my face. It is it is the only 
scene in any movie where I consistently break down because of the joy and the wonder of it. And that sounds real dumb. It sounds real stupid to say that. Like gen- generally you'd want to cry at, you know, something like in Schindler's List or, you know, Jack slides off the door in Titanic, right? And falls to his, it drowns and freezes to death both at the same time. But this one, when he, sh- when he, when his little shoes scrape on the window as he gets ready to jump and it, the camera zooms in on these little details, you hear that little and you hear the music in the back, almost like at a lull. And then he just shoots off. And the way the glass is shown as his, as his fingers come off the glass and that song, What's Up Danger, just drops. And he's, he's shooting through the air and the panels go boom, 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 boom. And it's a, it's a close up on his face. And just the actualization of his character when he finally becomes who he's supposed to be, when he finally realizes his destiny. And then the incredible joy and the wonder that he feels as he swings down and is running along the city streets. And that song is, is blaring out. I remember just in the theaters, that is one of the most exciting original, incredible things I've ever seen. And that is why I'm here for superhero movies. I will suffer through all the mediocre ones to get a moment as good as that again. It's actually, it's again, that image is my desktop background. It's the thing that I look at that inspires me to to do anything. And my daughter likes to point at it and she said, oh, that's Spider-Man. I said, yeah. And she said, he's falling in the city. I said, yeah, yeah, that's right, he is. Because there's that beautiful inversion shot of him coming into his destiny. He's accepting New York and New York is accepting him back. I, I don't know. I could talk for a long time about the different ways those panels work, the way the music works, all of it building to just this amazing final character turn. Yeah, that, oh, that's yeah. that's my favorite. The and I think that's all our favorite. Yeah, Luke Face. The Luke Face. <laughs> when he stops at like the final building before he goes into the into the thing uh-huh. and he just like lifts up his mask he's just breathing heavy like <sighs> and you can just see like the the huge amounts of just joy and emotion and i can't believe i just did that on his face and he finally like smiles it's the first time that you think i i the genuine like miles smile. smiles he just genuinely smiles like a kid that was so cool and i I don't know, for me, it just, it brought me back to like the three or four times when I was a kid and I like realized what my body could do, like if I pushed it or if I thought like, hey, maybe, so I I, I used to swim. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on a swim team when, when I was in early high school and I was, I was fine at it. um, But the stroke that I was never able to figure out was butterfly. Darvum. It's a hard one. It's a really hard one to figure out too, because it's this very specific rhythm. And uh, what was awesome was that uh, me and my friend, whenever we would get into trouble, which was at least once a day, our coach would have us swim 800 butterflies. And so it it was a horrible punishment. We would almost (laughs) drown every day. It was great. It was the best time of my life. But one day, you know, like halfway through, you know, like the 7,000th time I'd gotten that punishment, it clicked like the butterfly clicked for me and I just did it. And I finished it in like record time. I was like, can I do it again? (laughs) Wow. I was like, I want to do this again. I don't ever want to stop doing this. It was the best, one of the best feelings I've ever had just like with this sort of confidence in my own body and, and what I could do. And that scene makes me think of that moment of my life, which is, was just this massively important moment for me. I think I think that that's what it's trying to do. That joy in the 
in the possibilities of what you're able to do. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I love that scene for so many reasons. First off, it, it looks beautiful. I mean, I understand why it's your, the screensaver on your, or the background on your computer, because the look and the colors are so rich and incredible. Who sees skyscrapers go upside down and then fall towards the main character? Because like miles isn't really, it's almost like it goes towards him. My, my, miles uh, is miles is right side up. That that's what it, yeah. that's what you feel like. Even though he's falling down, he's the correct orientation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because he he has the correct orientation in mind, and they actually represent that on screen with this scene. And it's not. I love how the whole idea is just you know it's a leap of faith. There's something there's something that he can't describe. There's something he can't touch. He knows he has to have it. And in order to gain it, he just needs to do it. I, I like that ethereal. In superhero movies, it's usually very solid, right? There's usually a moral like, oh, the the bad guy's, you know, the obstacle in your life. You can go beat the crap out of him. And this one, it's the obstacle is really himself, and he overcomes that with with just some faith. It's amazing. Yeah, like the the foes are is the job. Right. Yeah. It's not as if there's a I mean, it's not like the Dark Knight, right, where there's this philosophical debate at the heart of the movie. It's it's not that it's it's what we're talking about. It's it's his embracing of that hero's mantle, finding what he finding it was in him, not like in him all along, because it's not. You know, we've seen him try this before <laughs> in a really <laughs> awesome sequence where he tries to jump from the tall building and it's too tall. So he it's leaves like, yeah, and goes to the smaller building. <laughs> yeah. But this one, he goes to the tallest one he can and just does it. Yeah, I love the, uh, I love that idea. Like you can activate something in yourself. Yeah, that was amazing. And then he does it. Uh, and then I, sh- I guess I should have mentioned this earlier, but he does that to Peter B. Parker at the very end, right? When like Peter B. Parker wants to sacrifice himself for everybody, and he holds Peter B. Parker over a portal, and then says, "It's a leap of faith. You need to go back. You need to reestablish yourself with Mary Jane. You need to get your life back on track." Yeah, this is after Parker told him the same thing, basically. And Parker understands that. And he just falls and accepts his faith in a in a fall of fate. Uh, yeah, a fall it, of fate. It, it's a beautiful mirroring, right? Because it's yeah. the exact same thing. He's holding him over the floor and then switching it, holding over a portal. And it's 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 not what you would expect to see, right? It's a, it's a subversion because he's going to face up against Kingpin. We watched Kingpin kill a Spider-Man already. And that's at the very heart of this debate they're having about whether or not he stays. And I think that a lazier uh, storyteller would choose to have the big baddie fight several of these spider people. And it's not that. He says, you know, this is this is my world and I need to fight them if I'm Spider-Man. And yeah. you can't interfere here. There's there's a, a, a principled victory that must be accomplished. Oh, and that's that cool. Gets, yeah. That's the heart of why I love Spider-Man in the first place. Yeah. They're all there. They've supported him and, and helped him to say like, hey, like we believe in you. You are the best of all of us, Miles. But finally, like Miles has to make that leap of faith. And finally, he's the one who has to fight his own demons, right? Like the Kingpin in his own part of the multiverse and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, because that, that Kingpin traumatized him too, right? Oh, Killed yeah. his hero in front of him. Yeah. Also, I, I okay, I, I don't want to step on anything here, but there's, there's a couple Easter eggs I wanted to point out that I thought were really wonderful. Is uh, in that scene specifically when, when Fisk shows up, I loved that they, for a moment, acknowledge kind of the other Fisk. Um, when when the when the bridge rises up, 
it's the exact same as in the Daredevil TV show opening credits. And then oh, and there's, really? there's the red bubbles that come off of it, just like in there. I did not even notice that. That's yeah. awesome. And I love that they just paid a little bit of homage to the other um, Kingpin that was done well. And zero it's homage to uh, any other incarnation of him that might have come up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like in the other Daredevil. Um, <laughs> I really love that. Stan Lee, as far as I can see, is in three scenes of this movie. One, he's stepping over Peter and Miles as they are lying on the sidewalk. Uh, he's, he's the guy on the phone that steps over him. And he's also on a train that's shooting by as Miles shoots by him. And he's doing the Spider-Man symbol out the window at him. Um, so I, I like that's that he's awesome. like, and they, the filmmakers actually say it's possible he's in more of it. We don't know. Because uh, <laughs> it, it, he might have just been put in the background. That's really cool. Um, that was a funny strig. And those are just the two that have really come to mind. I, I do want to ask if you guys have, do you have any relationship to the other spider people that are shown here? Because now that we've sort of cleared up that spider ham has comic origins, do, have you guys read any of the other characters? No, I haven't. I haven't read. I might've encountered spider Gwen at some point. How about you, Jesse? Nah, it's, it's just Spider-Man for me. Yeah, I, I, I did want to point out Spider-Gwen just a little bit because uh, Jason Latour um, is the creator of her and she's he's a really wonderful writer. And I actually was reading some Spider-Gwen before the movie came out. It's a really, really cool character. And if this is a launching pad for anyone to really get into uh, comics, reading about these characters more, Spider-Gwen is, is, is an all-timer. I think that she is... She's almost as compelling as Miles Morales himself. And her backstory is is pretty deep and is pretty hardcore as well, even though we only see a little tiny bit of it in this movie. So I just wanted to, to shout that out before we moved on. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did pick up my old Ultimate Ultimate Spider-Man comics after, after this, and he bought some just so I could possibly get to the point where Morales is introduced. And then I never got there because it was way too much. So I should just buy that. <laughs> I should just buy it, but I just don't feel like investing in comics at this point. Well, I think, so I haven't. I think the ultimate Spider-Man and also Brian Michael Bendis is um, as one of the creators alongside uh, Sarah, Sarah Pacelli of Miles Morales. He, he was writing Spider-Man for like 10 years prior to Miles Morales coming around. I, I think he said that he wrote Spider-Man for, I think, 18 years. Wow, that's wild. Um, yeah, he's he's one of the longest one of the longest people that's ever been on the comic. Um, but he also shows up in the movie along with Sarah Pacelli on on the on the cell phone when when he's looking through to try and call Uncle Aaron. You see oh, B. Cool. Bendis and S. Pacelli on there. It's kind that's of fun. Cool. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, well, speaking of that, he's calling Uncle Aaron. Um, I, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. It's kind of at the heart of the movie, or at least it's at the heart of Miles Morales in a lot of ways, and that is the kind of Uncle Aaron versus uh, his father, Jefferson Davis. And uh, I want to ask you guys, uh, who do you think the better dad is and why? Mike? Oh, yeah. Um, definitely Jefferson Davis. Um, <laughs> I think, well, yeah. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear. I, I don't know. To me, it's pretty clear that that um, his his actual father is is the better father, even though he has to go through a character arc to, to become better than he is at the beginning. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, there's the clear difference between the two where um, Aaron has chosen the life of crime and uh, um, Jefferson has chosen the life of fighting crime. Um, he's a cop. Um, 
so, I mean, just from, from that perspective, from being a role model, an, an actual role model in, in terms of what they actually do, uh, it seems to me clear that, that, that Jefferson Davis is, is the better man and, and father in, in that term. I mean, I, what, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that what Uncle Aaron brings to the table, yeah. right, is that he wants, he tries to relate to Miles. Yeah. You know, Jefferson doesn't seem interested in, in, in having a personal relationship with his son because he's trying to push his son because he knows his son is gifted and he doesn't really seem to know how. And then uncle Aaron is like, Hey, this, this is a cool kid. This kid is special. He tells him that all the time. He, yeah. he nurtures his interests. He's always trying to encourage him to do things that scare him. Meanwhile, his father tells him very specifically, uh, you don't have a choice. You're yeah. going to do this stuff because it's good for you, which is definitely a great dad quality, but he's missing that, that other that spark of, of a kind of friendship, right? The kind of friendship that a dad can have with his kids is, is that, that nurturing, that encouraging, and that trying to relate in some way, trying to, trying to, to find some common ground. And uncle Aaron finds that in, uh, you know, trying to help him talk to girls, trying to nurture his artistic growth, listening to cool music. You know, he's, he's, they're watching community and listening to Biggie. All right. That sounds like a pretty fun Friday night. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he brings him to the to the subway station where he he's able to do his graffiti. I mean, Miles is a pretty awesome graffiti artist. Like that's some cool stuff he's doing there. Yeah. But his dad is just like having none of it. Yeah. And then when uh, when Aaron tells him, oh, your dad and I used to do this stuff all the time. Miles is like, what? My dad used to do this. Yeah. Um, which like, I don't know. I feel like that makes sense of even more sense of why his father would be hesitant to, to kind of connect on that level because he's been burned. He's been, he's been burned well, by his brother. <laughs> he's been burned, but he also probably knows like this, the trouble he got into before he became a cop and he doesn't want to like put his stamp of approval or become, come out looking like a hypocrite yeah. uh, to his son when his son gets into similar sorts of trouble. It makes sense. Yeah. That's not and to say that, that he shouldn't relate to his son. Yeah, I, honestly, you get. I, I got the feeling watching this movie that Jefferson Davis used to be a dude who who ran with a crowd that he doesn't like anymore, that he doesn't want to have anything to do with in any way because maybe something got taken too far at some time, and so he's. It seems like he's actively encouraging Miles to not have anything to do with that that thing that he knows that he can't even that is almost unspeakable. That's kind of like a subtext that I'm getting from Jefferson Davis a lot of the time. And, and uncle Aaron doesn't have uncle Aaron is clearly that guy who he's, he still fights for the mob, right? Like he's still a bad guy. So he has no problem introducing miles to, to his life because he's, he still thinks it's all right to do because he yeah, probably it, thinks it's in my view of uncle Aaron. He just thinks like, this is a job. I make money. What's wrong with this? Yeah. And in that way, he has a kind of um, honesty about who he is because he feels no shame. And Jefferson, it seems, even if he doesn't feel shame, he's definitely keeping a lot of himself back for whatever reason. Um, yeah. There's a reticence. And I think, I think it could be shame. Like what we're talking about, maybe something happened in his past that, that pushed the two in divergent directions. Or it could simply be that he's just a much more principled person. Aaron doesn't really seem like he has principles, except for family, which is a very vague one. He and Dominic Toretto have that in common. Uh, and I think that, you know, Fast and Furious, come on. Yeah. Familia, yeah, sorry. 
great. Yes. You guys suck. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to your words. So. But I mean, I mean, he's yeah. also like a super criminal that pulls off heists and only cares about family and feels no shame about what he does. And also yeah. listens to rap music. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I, I think he does feel shame about what he does. Like he, he says explicitly to Miles, like, I didn't want you to know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but I think that's only because he doesn't want to involve him. It's like, it's his job. Just like his dad doesn't involve him in his job either. Yeah. I think it's more than that. Like, uh, what does he say when, when he's lying there dying? He's like, I, I wanted you to look up to me and now I know you won't basically is the idea. Like that's the, un, the unsaid um, truth. Like I, I wanted you to look up to me. Yeah. I, I just didn't see that necessarily as, as shame. I think he's just trying to just push it away over here. Like what, what Jesse was saying, it's like, it's a job, push it in the job box. That's the box of job. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, maybe. I mean, like the yeah. moment where he realizes it's Miles. And he, well, yeah, the moment he realizes it's Miles, he just says, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, because like, he's supposed uh, to, he's, he's going to kill him. <laughs> right. But I, I can see that going either way. Either that is, that is just, you know, like shame, like having been found out and then like realizing his worlds have collided and there's, there's no going back and how is he going to fix this? Um, like that, that could also, that could also be like just, just a man who has a job and has realized he can't go forward in it anymore. So I don't know. I, I think it could go either way with that particular, like I, uncle Aaron is just a weird dude. I wish we had some backstory. I, I almost wish there was an uncle Aaron movie, <laughs> uncle Aaron, the movie. Cool. One, one of the uh, one of the directors also said the same thing. He said it's it's really a shame he's dead. He said because we we worked so hard to get him up on screen, and he's just one of the most compelling stories. And he's like, it was really a shame that we, that he died. <laughs> he said we wanted more. <laughs> well, I bet they yeah. can explore it to some degree, like with uh, with Miles in the future, right? I mean, I hope so. I hope they do. Yeah. Um, because you know, kind of trying to figure out his legacy, how he got here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a cool story. Yeah, right? yeah. As he's Honestly, also trying to become a better Spider-Man. I don't know. I think you're right. Yeah, I I would love backstory on Uncle Aaron and Jefferson's relationship. Um, I would like to know. You just got to play the game. You just got to play play uh, PlayStation's Miles Morales, man. You got oh, yeah, a lot gotta, of it there. Just have to spend hundreds of dollars for that. Great. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah it's worth it. Yeah. Worth every penny. I don't understand. Are you being sarcastic? That's correct. That's all you have to do. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is all I have is, to is do. This, is That's this a problem? I won't do. <laughs> it's so good. Um, all right. But to be clear, Mike, you said Jefferson Davis is the better dad. You gave yeah. some reasoning. But Vito, you never actually said who the better dad is. Oh, Jefferson Davis is the better dad. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, just, I, I, just, I just wanted to like pick up like a slightly contrarian position yeah. just to illustrate who Uncle Aaron was and why Miles is like stuck between them. That's all. Yeah. I mean, they seem better in different ways. Jefferson Davis is like the rock solid dude who is just so family oriented. Will never. It doesn't seem like he's ever going to abandon them because he's just so damn principled. Is going to stick by his family side for the rest of his days and will provide. I don't, think that Uncle, his, I don't think that his wife will like ever let him leave anyway, either. <laughs> uh, I'm all for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Uncle Aaron is. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uncle Aaron is like the crazy, emotionally supportive, like dad in Miles's life. Um, so they both have like different attributes that they bring to the table, but Jefferson Davis, I think, clearly wins out. 
I think I think like Uncle Aaron is like the the cool dad that kind of sucks that we see in, in some movies. Like he's the divorced dad that has his own life. And it's cool. Like if his kid comes over and like smokes weed with him or whatever, but he's not like a father. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think you'd say that that person's more like an uncle. I think he has, I think he has a lot of like traits for yeah. sure. Avuncular. But, avuncular. avuncular. It's a real traits. word. <laughs> means uh, like an uncle. Oh, I guess. Oh, okay. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That, that was, that was yeah, etymology that with Mike. <laughs> oh, that, I think we should have that segment in every single episode. It would not go well. It's already happened. So we may as well just make it official. <laughs> oh man. Next time, next time we'll bring it up again. Um, but I also wanted to ask you guys. Uh, so we've done some Spider-Man movies before and we have watched a lot ourselves. So how does this into the Spider-Verse stack up? With our other Spider-Man movies, is it, do you think it's the best one? Do you think it's the middle of the pack one, Mike? Oh, dude, I, um, yeah, I think it's the best. I mean, it's the, I think it's the best superhero movie I've ever seen. I, th- I, I, you know, I put it, I think the second best is The Dark Knight and it's right after this one, but this one, this one beat it. I think that this is just an incredible movie. It's, it captures it captures this character. I, I think Spider-Man has universal appeal for just pretty much anyone who encounters encounters the character because what he represents is hope. And this is the most hopeful Spider-Man I've ever seen while also being like kind of the darkest backstory I've ever seen as well. Um, it's It's amazing. And they do such a good job. It's so beautifully created. It's such a, a piece. It's a piece of art in a way that is like a comic book. Like I, it, it I feel like I can hold it in my hands, and and I don't know. It, it's it's just so meaty, but also so light. I, I it's just wonderful. I, it's my favorite for sure. What yeah. about you, Vito? Uh, I, I would I would agree. I think this is the the best that we've ever seen Spider-Man. And I think that Miles Morales is having such a such a meteoric kind of rise here. Not only I mean, only introduced as a character about 10 years ago, and then having a full, you know, game devoted to him, which is beautiful and wonderful in its own ways, and does a lot of different stuff from this. Um, but this is this is I would agree with Mike. I think this is the finest incarnation of a superhero or comic book movie pretty much full stop like there's a couple of comic book movies quote unquote that i think have it in the have it have it there's a good conversation to be had there stuff like road to perdition is for example a graphic novel oh really yeah it is i did not know that yeah stuff like like a history of violence is a graphic novel there's a lot of other very very worthy movies to talk about dark knight also being one of them Mm -hmm. but i think that for every base that this this hits for every box that could be checked it checks it I think this is this is a technically perfect movie, just about every way. Just to add to that, before we go to to, to you, Jesse, I, I feel like um, part of the reason why I was able to do that is because it's riffing on all of the other ones, all the other stuff that's out there. Like the the intro scene is just the story of Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, pretty much, which is awesome. And it's like kind of making fun of the fact that there's so many around there. It's it knows kind of what it's doing. And it's like, but I don't really care. Like, I'm not going to be too worried about the fact that we've done this a million times. 
this is a new story. Especially as with every, character. with every comic that gets laid down, yeah. it says, and let's do this one last time. And yeah. they keep saying that. And yeah. they're like, one last time. One last time. And it's like eight issues by the end. <laughs> but then it's, it's Miles Morales at the end. Yep. It's like, this is, this is a new one. Mm-hmm. This is, you're the best of us. I feel like that's true. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah. All right. When I first saw it, I, I still preferred Spider-Man 2 over this one, but it was my second favorite. Now I think it's my it's my number one Spider-Man movie. Not my favorite superhero movie. I, I still have a couple others above that. But if I like had to what? make an all-time... Well, we're going to get to those in future episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to know right now. now. You want to know right now? Yeah, I, I want to know uh, what you put would, above it. Oh, it'd have to be The Dark Knight and Logan. Okay. Oh, I haven't actually seen Logan. Oh. You should see Logan. I know. You should see Logan. I, know. I mean, we should we should also have a debate as we go forward when we touch on these other movies and, and we can have that, that sort of long-term reflexive conversation about it. Yeah. But uh, I think those are two very worthy choices. Like I would, I would only have a hard time with Logan above this, but again, we could talk about that at a different time. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know we will because we're going to do all the Wolverine movies. At some point. <laughs> yes. It's true. <laughs> Buckle up, and kids. Every movie that, Wolverine. <sighs> every movie that Wolverine appears in. So all of the X-Men movies. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's 10. I think he's in 10 movies. Wow. That's yeah. Amazing. I don't think he's in Apocalypse, which is good. Or Dark Phoenix, which is good. No. Yeah. But yeah, he's in all 10 of them. And uh. Anyway, one day. One day we'll we'll see that. All 10 movies. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm getting sad yeah, thinking is... about it. <laughs> <laughs> we might not do all 10 of them. <laughs> oh, maybe let's just do Logan. I might be. Okay. I, got, I perked up. I perked up there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Logan. And uh, yeah, but this movie, it was able to riff enough on Spider-Man that it brought out all that old joy, brought something new to the table and was just a fantastic superhero movie. So yeah, I guess it's number three. Number three of all my superhero movies. And I think I actually made a list the other day. I think I had seen 60? 60 superhero movies? So this is... It, it ranks really high. Nice. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's not as high as number one, but it's pretty high. Yeah, it's, pretty <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's two spots below that. It wins a bronze medal, but... It's it's losing to Logan and The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan, which is supposedly one of the best action movies of all time. Yeah, it's true. It it is that. Uh, and yeah, I, man, uh, it's like it's like if you if you put a gun to the head of each of these movies, like who would you spare? And and I, Mike and I are both saying we'd spare this one. <laughs> yep. But it's nice to know where we all stand. Yeah, it, it definitely contends with uh, Dark Knight. I mean, they're doing very different things. Yeah. With very, hope. very, with hope, actually, with hope. Yeah, they're both they're yeah. both about hope. Yeah, yeah. very differently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, speaking of hope, if you were Spider Man, which Spider Man do you hope you would be? I know Vito Spider Ham. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. He's I, told us. I can't be. I'm a squid. <laughs> You're defeated, Mike. Damn it! And you see, it would make Again. sense why my hands are wet. <laughs> That was the weirdest <laughs> line. <laughs> I love it. I just wash line. my hands. That's why they're wet. No other reason. <laughs> no other reason. Uh, I I would. I, I'm going to take it first. I think that I've often felt like 
Miles, and we do share part of a heritage. You know, he's uh, he's he's Hispanic. I think technically Portuguese, but uh, I, I am partially Hispanic myself. And I, I, it's nice seeing a hero that isn't just defined by being Mexican or being a Latino of some. Because it's usually like there's a guy and his name is like Cabron, and he has to wear a cowboy hat and he has to like <laughs> shoot people with six shooters. And you're like, okay. Or it's a guy and he's like wearing a poncho. You go, all right, yeah, it's easy shorthand, fine. But it's nice just having uh, a different race of a superhero. But I think it would be pretentious to say that I would be Miles. I would, if I had to pick one for myself, Spider Ham does not really seem hurt by anything. He has a hammer <laughs> in his pocket. He can drop anvils on people. He's True. he's completely unbound by any laws of of physics, comic or otherwise. It's pretty amazing. He's he's kind of like the like Mr. Mitzelplick from Superman. He's just he's he's such of an other dimension. You don't even know what's going to happen with him, and he wins through puns. It's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> I think you guys are messing up. I t- I put money on Spider Ham. What do you think, Mike? You know, I I think I I definitely see you as a as a pig in a spider outfit. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Even you. though you're an octopus or a squid or whatever. I mean, I'm a, I'm going to drop an anvil on your head. You know, just... that is okay. Like where my mind went when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's possible. You can have a universe where that is. Like, but you have to write rules around it. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. They, they did I don't know. in the little short film that they made with Spider Ham. Yeah. He he wins. He's just Bugs Bunny. That's the yeah. thing. He has yeah. Bugs Bunny powers. So he's being chased by this guy. And they're going in and out the doors, classic like Hanna-Barbera style or mm-hmm. Warner Brothers style. And then eventually he he multiplies rapidly until there's like a hundred spider hams. And then they pick up the bad guy and they throw him out. And then it's just one spider ham. And he's like, you shouldn't have picked a fight with me. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really enjoy that. But who, which Spider-Man are you? Which Spider-Man are you, Mike? Um, I feel like I, I'd like... I, I, I see you as, Sp- as Spider-Man Noir, just so you know. Oh, yeah? I see you as that. What color is this? Purple? Exactly. Purple. <laughs> Definitely thinking about that. What color is this? Purple. <laughs> I like how he it's says, so great. he says, I don't know what this is, but I will figure it out. <laughs> I'm taking it with me. And he does. And he, yeah, does. he does figure it out. He figures it out. Yeah. And I see you also as like, uh, when he says that line, he's like, can, can you just, what does he say? Can, can you move beyond the, the racking emotional guilt of the violence that you've perpetrated. <laughs> I see you having a line like that. I see you saying something like, you ever let a match and let it burn down to your fingertips just to feel something? <laughs> and then it doesn't burn all the way. <sighs> um, well, that's, uh, I don't know what to think about that in your perception of me. I, I feel like I related most to Peter B. Parker. Hmm. Um, I mean, like you relate to all of them, I think. And that's, that's part of the beauty. But um, he just seems so realistic. And I can someone who... I- like, I don't know, life, um, the beauty and the joy of being a superhero has kind of lost its, uh, lost its gloss, right? Like it's not as, it's not quite as amazing as it it's always been. He's just kind of done the same things for a while and he's afraid of something bigger and he doesn't really want to deal with it. I don't know. I, I can think, definitely I think see that you I like, like that. saying, I can see you saying like, there I was in my apartment, you know, doing ab crunches, getting strong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just wolfing down pizza. I'm pretty sure I've that. said that. I think so. There I was. Just, just getting like strong. you were there with me. I was talking to my wife. Like, I'm just working out right now. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I, I like that answer. He is so relatable. He kind of, I mean, in some ways, the movie rests on Peter B. Parker. Because he's like, 
He's showing us like the jadedness that we all have towards superhero movies, and we come into it and we expect to treat it the same way he's treating the entire movie. Nice. Which is like, ah, <laughs> uh, we're just going through the motions. Oh, she's going to say, in the next 24 hours, you need to fix this or else everything will blow up. And then she says, 24 hours line. He's like, see, I told you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, give me the goober. There's always a disabled key, a key code, a security key. I just call it a goober. <laughs> give me give the it. goober. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you didn't answer though, Jesse. Who are you? Oh, clearly I am Toby McGuire. that's a good look that's a good look yeah uh no no i don't think anybody would ever want really want to be toby Maguire. i don't think he wants that sounds (laughs) not at this point (laughs) (laughs) no i i don't i I think i have to agree with mike i still i still relate the most to peter b parker i came into the movie with the same attitude that he did and i left Way more hopeful about life, the same way he did. Nice, yeah. yeah. And about superhero and, movies. Yeah. Wait, what happened? <laughs> wait, wait. What did you say? No, I was just referencing the fact that you left more hopeful about superhero movies, and like you came back to superhero movies and superhero yeah. stuff. You've bought comic books after having seen this movie, which is kind of really cool. Like it brought this hope to you, partly through showing you like the way that you were relating two superhero movies through Peter B. Parker, this depressed, jaded, cynical, middle-aged dude. Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is fun. It's cool. Do you have have anything else on the board for us, Jesse? Sorry. Nope. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up? I just had, I just had two real quick ones because I keep having them, but did you guys catch when, when Miles saves Gwen and then she didn't die? Wait, what? When she's falling through towards the reactor, he's he's shooting towards her as fast as he can, and he catches her and saves her. And it was like a beautiful mirroring oh, yeah. of how before in oh. alternate universes, that same thing happens and she dies because oh, the sudden yeah. deceleration breaks her neck. That's right. Yeah. Dude, I didn't even think, like, I, I remember that scene. I remember, mm. but I didn't even think about the other the other situations yeah. where that didn't end up going well. So I, I really, I, I love that. And that's only something I noticed two watches ago. Um, cool. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. And then let's see um, another one uh, that I thought was really interesting is um, in, in the scene where they're again, it's, it's in the end arc reactor scene. There's all this stuff happening. Did you guys like the, the PlayStation controller that flies by? And they say that uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta hit the thing and, and go." And then the PlayStation controller goes by, and there's a little button highlighted that, that you're supposed to press, like if it was a game. It was really fun. Um, I, I did not even see that at all. Totally I, missed it. And then there's the uh, I, my runner-up, runner-up favorite scene is when Peter B. Parker discovers Miles in the the cemetery. Yeah. And as they <laughs> yeah. as as they accidentally get webbed to the train and they're getting pulled along, you go in the cop car and the cop car you hear on the radio, we're looking for a child in a Spider-Man suit dragging a homeless corpse. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then you see them bouncing along and Peter B. Parker like wakes up and is like, Why are you trying to kill me? <laughs> and gets knocked out again. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, I love that. Uh, I just I just wanted to mention that because that was that was just something that I, I laugh at every single time I watch it and I love it. That makes me think of the line that he says in the um, in the the ventilation when they're in the place where they're getting a computer. Yeah, um, he says, "You know, 
most of the people I meet in the workplace are trying to kill me. <laughs> You're kind of nice. It's a nice change of pace. <laughs> nice change of pace. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I think we've talked about a lot of Spider-Man related things. And I don't think we've talked about all of it because I think it's impossible to talk about all of this because we love it so much. But I would like to jump straight to the dad movie. Is this a dad movie and why? Vito, what do you think? Yeah, it's a dad movie. It's something I was so excited to share with my with my daughter. It's something I can't wait to have continuing conversations about. Show it to my other kids when slash if I have more. This is just a, this is an all timer. You know, I was really happy to be able to talk about something I feel this positively about. What do you think, Mike? Oh yeah, hundred hundred percent dad movie. I mean, it's about a son and his father. It's it's also about just like trying to to make the connection between the kids and the parents, and you know how how both of them care. Like that's really cool. They both care. They want. They both want to do that. They both want to love each other. Yeah. Um. Which which again isn't something you always see. And and so, yeah, definitely a dad movie. What about you, Jesse? Yeah, it's definitely a dad movie. And kind of uh, piggybacking off of something Mike was saying, uh, I love the idea that there is a dad, and the dad isn't just a bumbling, stupid idiot. He's a little out of touch, but he's not an idiot. And uh, he loves his son and wants to communicate that. And it's not getting through because Miles doesn't fully love his dad back. And there's a, there's a mutual growing in this movie where both the father and the son come together uh, at the end. And, and that there, there are so many kids movies where it's just, you know, parents are stupid and the kids were right all along. And then there are even worse movies where, where the parents were right <laughs> and the yeah. kids <laughs> the kids were wrong and they go on a terrible misadventure those are usually like dumb moral tales that mm-hmm. i there are so that are less than b movies so i won't get into them but yeah i love <laughs> i love this i love that and i i remember kind of i i went through a phase with my with my dad at a certain point where i thought he was kind of i don't know not cool yeah. didn't really there was a period of time where I didn't really want to be around him. And I know that that's going to happen with my kids and me someday. And I would like to in- discourage that behavior as much as possible mm. <laughs> with movies like this, because I was a little shit. And if I could, if there is a movie out there like this, that can help curb that in any extent, I would like to show it to my children. So yes, a thousand percent, a dad movie. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I think that closes up our discussion on Spider-Man. This was part of our fan request month. This came from multiple people. In fact, we had a poll out and this was the top voted movie for us to do. And we're so happy to do it for you all. We love those requests. Keep sending them to us. I'm sure we're going to have another fan request month in a bit. I don't know when it'll happen, but send us your requests. We'll probably try to slip it in somewhere and, we will definitely communicate back to you if you let us know. And from that poll, we have one more episode to do in Fan Request Month called Fantastic Something. I don't want to give it away. It's just <laughs> Fantastic <gonna be> Something. <laughs> Man, I don't want to do that one. It's so vague. <laughs> Fantastic whatever. It's a, it's a who's it. It's a what's it. It's a fugazi. It's, it's that a thing that the dude's in at the one place at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We saw it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he's a cat. 
I think it's a cat. I think it's a cat. I think it's a cat. Yeah. Yeah, Or or a meerkat. Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. And that'll be the last movie in the fan request month. So until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Vito. And I'm Mike. Have a good night, everybody.